Welcome to the Tradies in Business podcast with your hosts, Warwick Bidwell and Nicole Cox. Divert your phone and grab a brew as Waz and Nick unpack tips, tales, secrets and stuff-ups from guests both inside and outside your trade. Helping educate and inspire you to break the cycle of gut-busting and money stress and create a true trade business. Okay, so we are joined by Zoe Routh or Ruth. I was paying attention, but then I stopped listening. <laughs> Zoe, I'm really sorry. I've just proved exactly what I was saying before we hit record. <laughs> that I'm one of those uh, Well, men. it is Effort Friday after all, so it doesn't matter too much. Um, it's Routh like mouth with a nose. Routh. Okay, like mouth. Yeah, I've got a big one of those and I usually stick my feet in it. So Family. Zoe, welcome to the Tradies in Business podcast. Um, I'm really looking forward to our chat today, actually. Uh, because you are here to talk about people stuff. But before we do, um, can you please tell our listeners, I guess, who you are? I don't like doing bios and all that sort of stuff. And uh, I just prefer our guests to introduce themselves like you're at a Barbie. <laughs> like we're at a Barbie. Okay. No worries. I can do that. Uh, well, hey, I'm exported from Canada, the land of lakes, rivers, and maple syrup. Um, where we have um, our prime minister has a penchant. Can I uh -huh. use that? It's French. It sounded very elegant for a Friday. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he has a penchant for wearing Star Wars socks. Um, so that's our claim to fame with our, uh, with our prime minister. And that and the fact that we're not Americans. That's the other claim to fame and pride. <laughs> Just which putting is that sad. in there. Like, yeah. Yeah. The yeah. And then my, my sister married an American 15 years ago. Wow. And um, we went, why? <laughs> <laughs> Good day to any Americans listening to the program. I think oh. we just destroyed any chance of making it big in the US of A. That's true. But we've come to terms with it now. And, um, and her secret weapon, her secret agenda was actually to become a citizen so she could vote. So that happened this year. She's voting in this election. <laughs> uh, so that's um, Canadians are invading uh, America, which is pretty exciting. <laughs> <laughs> and Australia, it seems, Zoe. Yeah, that's right. We have a secret agenda to take over the world uh, and make sure everybody says A. So the Queenslanders are already on top of that, which is great news. <laughs> nice work. Nice work. So how did you come to be in Australia? I know I've just interrupted your, your bio, but how did you come to be in Australia, Zoe? Uh, well, I, my background is in outdoor experiential ed. And what that actually means is I led canoe trips in, for a summer camp for years and years and then ended up uh, managing the expedition program there and fell in love with working with people in the outdoors. And that led me to get a job with Outward Bound here in Australia. They're based in Tharwa, just south of Canberra and run outdoor programs all around the country. And so I got a 13 month contract, which sounded like forever yeah. at the time. And 24 years later, I'm wow. still here. <laughs> I was with them for about nine years. Um, and so I did lots of fabulous stuff there, learned lots about people and dynamics and uh, um, rose to the cream of the top. Is that right? No, rose to the top as the cream does. Yes. Whatever the hell yep. that expression is. You made it big. Yep. <laughs> um, and was in charge of staff and training there. So I learned a lot about leadership development and training and HR issues when I was there and started my, my uh, leadership business about in 2002, a long time ago now. Wow. Um, yeah. So that's a little bit of how I ended up here and how I ended up staying. 
And then I met a man who was Australian and the rest is history. So they say. <laughs> and then you weren't allowed to leave. Well, no one's That's allowed right. to leave now in the midst of uh, COVID. That's true too. We were just lamenting because uh, you're in Canberra. We we're just lamenting that uh, you guys have now gone back to day zero of uh, no cases. So uh, yeah. <laughs> talking of people's <laughs> stuff, um, it, it's interesting actually that you know you have a leadership business um, or a leadership training business and you're living in a place where I don't know if leadership is really features highly in the the halls of uh of canberra <laughs> down there amongst our politicians uh but this isn't a political show so we're going to talk more about how this applies to tradies coxie please save me good idea no let's keep going with your foot in your mouth I'll give everybody <laughs> something to laugh about um so people stuff zoe it's an area that to be honest i think it just baffles most employers not just trade business owners, obviously, you know, our listeners are, are tradies or trade business owners. Um, I think they find it particularly difficult often because of the persistent culture and some of the norms within the industries that they work in, but employing people and, and figuring out how to get staff to do what they want them to do. It's probably one of, one of the top five complaints I think that our, mm. our trade business owners have about getting results. Um, is there, is there like some magical secret to, to all of this Zoe? I mean, can you just give people the silver bullet and save some time of me waffling? Yeah. So you can buy a dose of people stuff cures on my website for five bucks a bottle. No problem. <laughs> I think you'd sell out of those very quickly. Yeah, you wouldn't might, talk might need to raise the price on that. I think so. Quick way to make a million bucks though. I'm sure. Why is this such uh, a problem for people? It is such a huge problem. It's the number one complaint I have with all the leaders that I work with is like, what, what keeps you up at night? And apart from like existential crisis and financial crisis, the next thing that keeps them up at night is like, you know, the fact that Frank and Joanna don't get along or, you know, uh, Philippa is driving them insane or whatever it is. It's like the interpersonal dynamics are the things that get under our skin and are so difficult to deal with. And there's lots of contributing factors to that. Um, is there a silver bullet for it? No, but there are maps. And I like to think of leadership as a wilderness. And when you learn to read the map, you can navigate your, your way more safely through it uh, mm. without too many falling off cliffs and into ravines and that <laughs> kind of thing. Um, so the work that I do is about explaining or showing leaders what kinds of maps they could use to address this particular problem and then giving them skills to navigate through it. I can imagine that would be challenging in itself. Which part, the navigating or teaching well, leaders? That, I guess a bit of everything. You're having to lead the leaders through the process of learning how to lead. That in itself is quite challenging. Oh, it is. It's kind of a meta skill, right? So it's like, let's get in the nitty gritty of, of, of the dynamics because the people stuff is not very visible in some ways. Like it's not like um, accounting where your facts are either right or they're wrong. Actually, no, maybe accounting is the wrong example because you can make <laughs> up stuff in accounting. Um, but it's less black and white than other particular aspects. Let's take a tradie example. You know, if you hammer the wood in incorrectly things break it's like it's pretty immediate feedback on that people are a little bit more fluid and dynamic uh, and so it can be really challenging to really nail what the actual issue is 
Um, so that's why having a variety of maps to look at the issue is gives you some sort of way of putting form into the formless. And we're all dealing with different types of personalities. We're not all the same. It's not like you can just take one solution and it fits every member of your team. There's a different solution almost for every single person that you're trying to lead because emotion comes into it, because we're complex. We're not just numbers or nails or wood or something simple that we can understand. That's right. There's no one size fits all when it Mm. comes to dealing with people. And I love that you bring up personalities because that's often the biggest mistake I see with leaders is they blame issues on personality problems. It's like, ah, you know, John and Bill, they're both dicks. (laughs) That's why they don't get along. And that's why I don't get along with them. It's just their dickhead behavior and and personality. Um, Whereas often, well, sometimes that is the case um, that they are objectionable. More often the case though, is there's a problem under the surface with, uh, with the systems that are generating that behavior. Um, Some of these systems you have control over and some of them you don't. Uh, So you might be operating a system that just sets people up for conflict and in construction, oh my God, there are so many different systems that set people up for conflict. Mm. Um, If you look at uh, unions versus construction bosses, that is a system that is just ripe for conflict. Mm. Um, and at the same time, it's also ripe for synergies and, and collaboration, depends on which way you press the buttons. Um, so personality problems are, are, sim- are s- what looks like a cause, but are just really a symptom of deeper underlying issues, uh, which usually involve systems. Hmm. So, I mean, you talked about uh, just some of the things that people say, uh, some of the more complimentary <laughs> things that people say about their staff or, or people that they have a relationship with and it becomes a real personal attack almost uh, Mm. where we're blaming the way someone is for things not working out. And as a leader uh, or or for people in leadership roles, I feel like that is dangerous because it almost makes the assumption that it's got nothing to do with me as the leader and my job as the leader. And I, I like the idea a bit about the difference between leadership and management. And maybe that's what I want to ask you is, is there a difference and, and what does it look like? Um, but how do you get away from the personal aspects of working with people? Can you do that? I mean, are you just stuck with that stuff? There's about 17 um, questions in there, Zoe. <laughs> I know which one do you want me to tackle first? Maybe the last question and then I'll do the leadership management question. Sure, sure. So the last one, are you just stuck with the people dynamics? Um, I think it can get easier, I think. Um, so for example, I was sitting in a meeting with uh, two foremen, uh, site managers, um, and they were talking about this guy. <laughs> this guy, he's an old dog and he, he like pretends like he knows everything, but he doesn't. And he doesn't take constructive criticism and gets really defensive. And so they were blaming it all on personality. Mm. I said, well, hang on a minute. Okay. So let's look at the drivers with this guy, you know, what's important to him. And let's look at the situation. He's been around for a long time. So he knows stuff and he feels like he should be respected for that. So when you come in as a younger guy in charge of him and you've been promoted where he hasn't, he's got a chip on his shoulder around that because it's a blow to his status and he may feel like it's, a, it's unfair. So status and fairness are triggers um, for the amygdala, which is our flight and flight response in our brain. And that can put us into very unhelpful um, emotional states, which basically means when we're 
primed by our amygdala, we go into fight or flight and we narrow our focus. We lose access to our frontal lobe, which is our rational brain. And we get like angry, frustrated and irritable. And so we get this, you know, tunnel vision thing, which is why it's really difficult to give someone feedback when they're in that state. So the whole situation was like, okay, you've got this guy who's triggered by status and fairness and you're trying to give him feedback and he's not taking it. So what do you do? Well, how about instead of telling him what to do, you ask him. And so the insinuation there is, hey, you know stuff. Let's see, uh, let's tease this out together as opposed to I'm the new foreman, I'm younger than you. I've only been here five minutes and I'm gonna tell you what to do, which will just push everybody's status buttons and on the receiving end of that. So he turned it around and he, in the middle of that meeting, he took a call from this very same guy who had concerns about X, Y, or Z. And instead of telling him what to do, he said, oh, okay, mate, that sounds like, you know, sounds like a difficult situation. What do you think you should do? And the guy said, well, I think we should do A, B, and C. And he's like, yeah, I agree with that. Go for it. He's like, okay. <laughs> and turned the whole conversation around. And instead of being defensive and, uh, and so on, the, the guy got engaged and got on with it. So it was a very easy turnaround in that way, but it was knowing what might be pushing somebody's buttons that would drive them into that difficult behavior. Um, so will stuff certainly pop up? Yeah. And we just need to keep digging underneath the surface to see what's triggering it, to see if we can eliminate the source of the problem uh, and then deal with the emotions in real time, which dealing with the emotions in real time is usually about deep breathing and taking a break <laughs> time out <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah that pause can be uh incredibly powerful <laughs> yeah too often people jump into difficult conversations and it turns into a shouting match or a, as you said a name name calling match and it's, it's just every everything goes pear-shaped after that mm. Is that because we're all relying on our own feelings to drive those conversations? Like it's quite a skill to be able to pull yourself out as a leader. And I guess that's the biggest part of being a leader, taking that pause, that time to have a look at maybe how your example here with this team member who is being triggered by the way the foreman was dealing with him. That's quite a skill to be able to pull yourself out of that situation, understand how you're approach might be triggering someone and then find a, a, a more suitable approach for that team member. Is that what we're talking about here? Learning those skills, the time, the pause, the time away to be able to reflect and understand, okay, maybe I actually need to approach this differently. Um, because I could, I would think that would be really challenging in itself, taking that reflection point, I suppose. Absolutely, Nick, you've nailed it there. So it's an emotional intelligence skill. Um, the, this, there's a couple of skills involved in the whole thing. The first one is noticing A, that you've been triggered. And that's the first self-observation is the first skill in emotional intelligence. Like, oh, hang on a minute. He called me an asshole. So how do I feel about that? <laughs> mm, I'm feeling triggered. What does that feel like? Oh, it feels like my face is going purple and uh, I have my heart rates <laughs> elevated. Okay. So that self-observation is, is the first step in emotional intelligence so that you don't just automatically bite back. And the pause, the breath and the pause is the next step with that. It's like, oh, I'm being triggered. Okay, breathe. Let's, um, let's deactivate the amygdala, the, re the reactive response, and then choose a response. So rather than reacting, you respond. So 
when we can do that, when we can respond rather than react, we've gone to a whole new level in terms of being able to interact more effectively with people. So yeah, the self-awareness and self-observation is, is one of the skills that I love to teach leaders. You know, it's like, pay attention to what's going on with you. Get up in the morning and, uh, you know, do a check-in with yourself. How am I feeling today? And where am I feeling that in my body? Am I feeling restless? Am I feeling bored? Am I feeling anxious? And where does that manifest in my body? And that simple act of self-reflection can help put some distance between the emotional energy of your, in your body and what's really going on outside. Um, so yeah, practicing that can really, really help tremendously. And I find in the work that I do in construction is that a lot of leaders haven't learned any of that stuff. They've, they've just been hard workers and they just keep plowing through. They bury their emotions or let them loose. One um, versions of along the spectrum of that. And when we start to understand and pay attention to them, they become less of the things that are in the driver's seat and we can put them in the passenger seat so that we can keep the calm and stoic part of ourselves in the driver's seat and the emotions can do whatever they want to do, but they're just sitting beside us, not, not behind the wheel driving recklessly. Yeah. Yeah. I like uh, Mark Manson, the author and, and uh, well, I don't know what you'd call him a psychologist philosopher kind of guy, but uh, he talks about the car and whether the, the thinking brain or the emotional brain is driving the car. And so often for so many of us, our emotional brain is behind the wheel and, and he uses the, <laughs> the analogy of the clown car at the circus. Like it's just racing around, <laughs> it's bouncing off everything. And, uh, I think for a lot of employers, especially, they're still letting emotions, as you say, get hold of the wheel and drive relationships and interactions. And, and then they wonder why they're not getting what they want from the people around them. You know why they do that? It's because they love drama. And the drama is so <laughs> addictive. It's right. Like, it's like crack. It is. And the drama of being a bully is... Um, it's really energizing. That's one of the reasons why people become bullies is because the energy of power is quite addictive. It gives us dopamine surges, which makes us feel good and strong. And as soon as we get a taste of that, we don't want to let it go. And that just turns us into complete jerks. <laughs> <laughs> so Zoe, are there, so you talk about, you know, that addiction to drama, I guess for people listening that want to start to, as you say, self-observe and become more aware of their own behavior as a leader or someone who's in a leadership position, are there some things they could be looking for or should be looking for? In terms of how do you develop that self-awareness? Yeah. And, and maybe like warning signs or, um, you know, observing some of their own behaviors. Are there particular oh, yeah. things that show up with people who struggle with the people stuff? Um, well, people struggle with it in different ways and it manifests in different ways. Things you should be paying attention to that are warning signs that you're going off the rails and may be derailed are you start blaming, you mentioned that earlier, you know, you blame others uh, for the situation, you know, instead of putting up the mirror and going, hang on, what have I contributed here? Mm -hmm. So as soon as you start, if you're blaming, that's, that's a cue. If you feel miserable in any way, shape, or form, whether it's angry, frustrated, bitter, whatever, that's a cue. Uh, pay attention to that. What's triggering that? What's causing that? Um, the third thing is I'm right, you're wrong. So if you've got some black and white thinking going around, I'm totally right and they're totally wrong, you've got a perspective problem right there. So we need to be able to 
look at that and go, why do I think I'm right? Because everybody has their own version of the truth. And the person I think is wrong thinks they're likely right as well, even if it's yep. a twisted kind of right. So I think knowing that, knowing that everybody has their own version of the truth is helpful to us that we can show up with compassion and wisdom instead of just reactive judgment. So judging is probably the fourth cue. Are you judging people? And uh, all those kind of things are very insular points of view. Um, the trick to get out of it is to focus on where is your lens? Are you so focused on your own point of view so that your, your lens is actually point, pointing back towards yourself or is it focused on others? Are you trying to figure them out and, and uh, what's important to them, what's driving their behavior? So where is your lens swiveling to? Is it your own concerns or is it their concerns? And that's one way to crack out of it. These are some pretty uh, strong <laughs> neural pathways to change, I would think, Zoe. I'm really intrigued uh, to understand how those changes come about. Uh, everything that you're saying makes complete sense. I can refer to a dozen times even in the last week when I've behaved myself through triggers rather than taking a pause. Um, how do you fight those neural pathways that are the, the your constant habits to mm, fall so into behaving the same way that you always have? That's a big change to make. Um, it could, maybe, maybe not. Um, the The first thing is having wanting to having the willingness to want to change. Mm. So, if somebody is really satisfied with being a blow up bully, then they're not going to change. Like if they're, if they're happy riding roughshod through life like that and they don't care about the feedback that they get or don't get, then that's a different case in point. If you know that you could be doing things better because you feel, and you know that you could be doing things better if you feel uncomfortable and upset about anything, there's, there's opportunity for growth there. So the willingness to do the work is the first thing. The, the changing the neural pathways piece has a couple of different elements to it. I would say let's journal pick up the journal and start treating, treating yourself as a really interesting subject to study. So that third person perspective on self is one way of starting to untangle the triggers and change the pathway. So exploring in your journal at the end of the day, how was my day? What happened? Uh, what drove that behavior? How did I react? Was that good or was it bad? Or how could I have done things differently? And when you start to study yourself in which is fine at the end of the day, but in the moment, how do you do that? You start to be bring your awareness more to the moment um, and you become more conscious of the choices that you're making in the moment. And then the training that goes along with all of this to help you do that is mindfulness so that you are paying attention. That's like, uh, it's, it's the handy dandy tool that helps in, in so many different circumstances. And meditation, which helps your focus ability. Mindfulness is awareness and meditation is focus. So when you hone those two things, that's kind of like a, the primer for being able to stay in control of your emotions. Or you actually don't control your emotions. You can experience them without having them drive, uh, drive the car, as we said before. So those, there's some ways of changing it up. And it, it takes practice. Uh, it definitely takes practice. Um, but more importantly, it takes a willingness to want to do the work. Hmm. Yeah, I think that was the uh, the truth bomb at the end of that sentence, Zoe, is the willingness to do the work. And uh, I think that's that's a real challenge for a lot of the people that I've worked with over the years. And 
No, look, I was going to say a lot of men. I don't think it's it's only men that struggle with that, but I find uh, us blokes seem to find it particularly difficult to allow a different way. It, it, it feels maybe like being a little weak and that we're going to get taken advantage of if, if we don't stay in control. So, I mean, am I giving up control if I start shifting my lens to look at other people and understand other people? Oh, no, not at all. You're not giving up. You're actually gaining more control. Um, so I think the analogy is, are you the rock or are you the water? So the rock you think is solid, robust, non-changing, you know, reflective. Um, and yet the water, smooth, fluid, will wear away the rock every single time, over time. Mm. So I think in leadership and in, in dealing with people, we want to be more fluid, more responsive, more changeable. And that is actually more versatile and therefore stronger than being the stoic, unchanging rock. Mm. Um, are men more struggle more with change or analyzing themselves? I don't think we have, I don't think that's true necessarily. I think we have a cultural paradigm that doesn't let men explore themselves. It, that, that is changing. There are more forums opening up to let men talk about who they are and how they're being. And there's definitely an interest amongst men to do more of that because they want to be better husbands, better fathers, better friends, better brothers. Um, and so there is a desire for men to be able to be more self-expressed and more coherent in who they are. Um, and I think as women, we need to encourage that and make space for that. And I think make space for, for men to do that with other men as well. I think um, it doesn't always have to be a genders, gender mix in the conversation. I think there's definitely a space for men only, uh, which might be a controversial statement, actually. <laughs> but I really, I really believe in men's groups and, and men's sheds and places for men to, to explore who they are with their, with their, with their friends. It's something we talk about quite frequently here on the podcast. There is space for us all and we need to have that men only time or that women only time. It is just as valid and as important as, as it is for us to come together as a family group to strengthen, I guess, the understanding of who we are. I find it sad though. I agree there is more space for this now. I agree that there are more women supporting men uh, learning who they are. I feel as though it's still, it's still, a bit of a taboo subject, um, particularly in real male-dominated um, trades or, or, or sections of the community like construction, I still feel there's a lot of uh, this being done behind closed doors. I think it's happening. I just don't think that change or the perception of the change is coming quickly enough. So uh, having opportunities to talk to people like you, understand there are programs out there because actually one of the most commonly asked questions we have how do I learn how to be a better leader? And it's always from the male in the, the business asking for help in that. That's fantastic. I just don't think there's enough conversations happening. So it's exciting for me to think today that we can do more talking about this, open the door, get people thinking about how it is they can be better leaders within their businesses. Has your experience been similar? Zoe, have you found that there is still, this is happening, but it's still quite quiet, particularly in the male dominated industries? It's definitely still quiet in the male-dominated industries. And there is 
in the male-dominated industries and businesses, you need to have a leader at the top who is deliberate and intentional about creating safe conversations. If that doesn't exist, then the business won't change and the leaders won't change uh, because it feels unsafe to, to, to work on these things unless it becomes a norm and an expectation of the business to do it. And that always comes from the top. Um, it gets implemented throughout the organization on the ground, but if it's not there at the top, it's not going to happen. Um, I think we need only to look at the suicide rates amongst men uh, from young guys through to adults to say there is a compelling reason that we need to address this, mm. uh, particularly in, in trades, um, trains in, and more traditionally male type of sectors. Uh, deaths in the military from returned service people is, is appalling as a result, you know, um, as an example, I should say. Um, so yeah, there's definitely a need to do it. And it's, it's happening. And there are definitely like little emerging places where this can happen. Um, so I get pretty excited when I get approached by a construction company that wants to do leadership development for their guys. Guys meaning guys and girls, um, whoever's in their business. And creating that space and being determined to make it happen is, is really, really important. Um, and it's important business reason too, right? So because when we have lack of engagement and when there's not a safe space to have those conversations, engagement drops, we lose out on all the benefits of engagement uh, with all of its emotional intelligence requirements. Mm. And they say that uh, for organizations that have high levels of engagement, profitability is up two and a half times compared to their rivals. I mean, that's a, that's a bottom line reason to get behind this kind of stuff, um, let alone the human uh, aspect of it, let alone the emotional, wouldn't it be nice to just get along better? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it'd make mm. your days uh, much more enjoyable or much less stressful anyway. That's right. It's it's a, a comment that I think I've made uh, on the podcast, and I think Nicole and I have talked about it uh, in the past, is the way employers often view employees as a resource. And you know, we, we have this tendency, and we talked about accounting earlier, but to in business, I guess, to, to bring everything back to numbers, we've got KPIs and we've got, uh, you know, critical drivers of performance and ways of measuring what's going on. And it seems like the risk is that we start to view our people like, uh, you know, pieces of equipment that we have to get a certain return out of. How can we balance that need to, to you know, put money into our, our staff and still uh, honor the fact that they are people that have feelings and that it's all based on relationship. Like how do we balance those two sort of the, the absolute and the fluid aspect of people leadership? It's a, it's a constant um, polarity that, that leaders need to navigate a polarity, meaning it looks like opposites, but are really complementary. So the team task polarity is, is a really important one. And the big mistakes that leaders make is they just focus on task and all the KPIs, numbers, et cetera, that come from driving results. And there's, um, there's a couple of reasons why we need to balance it. And it doesn't have to be 50-50, like in terms of time or money around paying attention to time, uh, team and task. It's more like Pareto's principle. If we spend 20% of our time, money, energy on dealing with people dynamics, we'll get 80% of our results covered and we'll reduce 80% of our people problems doing that as well. Mm. And simple things like, appreciating people, recognizing them, giving them positive, constructive feedback. Um, they, there's some statistics I read 
this morning that 69% of people would work harder if they felt they were being recognized at work. And that means like, you know, gee, was that was a really good job you did today on the podcast. I love the way that you uh, made it easy for us to engage together and set a nice fun tone. That little piece of recognition, you know, automatically 69% of you wants to work harder, which is, yeah. which is amazing. And it's a simple free thing to do. Mm. Um, so there's the, the Pareto's principle around the team task balance, which is important. There's also a biochemical imperative to do it and which can prevent burnout. So if all we focus on is task and all the drivers, we sure we get the biochemical joys of endorphins by heating targets and deadlines and the dopamine hit of checking things off our list and reaching milestones. And those are feel good biochemicals, but they drain our uh, immune system. They have a real taxing blow to our bodies. And we need to balance that with other biochemicals, which are serotonin and oxytocin. Serotonin is the biochemical that comes from recognition. So when I give you praise, Nick, that was fantastic. I love the way that you, you know, weave in these fantastic uh, questions into the conversation. Um, that recognition gives you a surge of, oh, that's nice. <laughs> that's, and that feeling of well-being is the serotonin piece. The oxytocin is the, is the love and trust biochemical. It's how we feel when we're in a well-bonded team. It's when you go to work on site and you just love hanging out with the people that are on site with you. You have a great rapport. It's fun, engaging. You have each other's back and you trust what the other bloke's going to do. That is oxytocin. And when you have serotonin and oxytocin, it counters the drain that you get from the dopamine and uh, the endorphins and the cortisol that comes from all that task driving stuff. Um, so when we do that, we reduce burnout and we encourage greater well-being, greater mental health, et cetera. So there's a win on so many different counts from a personal point of view as emotional one, as well as a financial one, because when you have happy, healthy employees, guess what? They're not having a bitch fest about you behind your back or making complaints or showing up late or not showing up at all or getting injured. All that means good business. I'm sold. <laughs> you might get sound so simple. <laughs> Uh, simple simple maybe easy not maybe easy. not yeah. so much yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, like, it's like all the good stuff in life isn't it mm. um sorry coxie i i was just going to chime in with i guess some of the misguided or maybe it's misconceptions zoe around what leadership actually looks like i i think again for blokes especially but i see a lot of women in business do this and it seems their interpretation of being a strong leader or, or a good leader is, is too much of the uncompromising nature, the being overly direct. They think they have to be this, like this, the rock, I guess, but, but in the way that they don't let anything go, you know, it's, it's this hard line stance. That's what leadership is. And I, and I, you know, perhaps they've, taken that from some of the the you know ex-military authors and speakers and stuff that that get around the place many of which i actually follow and i and i think they have some great stuff but do you think that's an issue uh, what what do you see in terms of where people perhaps get it wrong in terms of being a leader and actually becoming a great leader well um they do get that wrong. And that's from an earlier stage of leadership maturity uh, when we become focused on power and uh, power and control and domination and hero stories and courage is 
a stage that all of us tend to go through as humans and as leaders. And it's learning how to be powerful. Uh, and it's quite energizing, as I mentioned before, like to all of a sudden be in charge of people. Wow, that's cool. And there's status and money and all sorts of stuff associated with that. And uh, it can be quite addictive. And we can, there's a shadow that can pull us into that bullies, that bully component. And I think that's what you're talking about. Some people can do power well, and other people can, can get hooked by the dopamine surges that come from that and default to wanting to keep it going and turn into these bully type people. Um, so it's an earlier, earlier stage of maturity. Your question was, how do we evolve from that? And we tend to know, we need to, first of all, have pointed out to us that there are excesses in doing that. There's downsides to doing that. Uh, it's really useful in times of crisis to be command and control and directive. Most of the time we're not in crisis. Um, mm in, in, well, I'm thinking about different crises we are experiencing, but in business right now, we're not really in pointy end survival crisis, mm. uh, especially not on site and doing projects. We're not necessarily in crisis unless, you know, there's a massive accident happening. Yeah. Um, so I think we can choose to activate that power persona, that warrior type of energy in specific contexts, but not on a day-to-day -day basis because you just create enemies and you create friction and it all goes to Pot. Uh, hell in a handbasket. <laughs> Self-edited there. Custard. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, some of the things that you were talking about in our conversation are really from later stages of leadership maturity. So after we go through power, we become, to rein that in, we put in rules and processes to make sure that things are contained, that way people don't go off the handle. And so we have these things that help put checks and balances against the uh, autocrat or the dictator. Um, and that's a really important thing. We, the danger of that, it becomes too bureaucratic and stifled and stuck. Um, and then we move to a more contemporary commercial and familiar uh, stage of leadership maturity, where it's about galvanizing the troops together, we achieve more, and it's about driving results and projects, etc. And we leverage the collective ability to produce externals. Um, what you were talking about earlier was, was you know, that's when we can, the danger is we start thinking about our people as resources, just cogs in a wheel to make the whole machine work better uh, because we're trying to produce those outcomes, those results, and those KPIs. The shift to make sure that we avoid the downside of that, which is greed, which is overwork and burnout uh, and despair and disgruntlement and all sorts of culture problems. The antidote to that is starting to pay attention to uh, diversity inclusion and honoring humans as these wonderful entities that have their own various perspectives and have something to offer. And we get really curious and uh, caring about humans. Now, there is a downside to that particular stage of leadership maturity and that it becomes too fuzzy-wuzzy, too complacent, not too complacent, too accepting, um, too waffly, too stuck in trying to be nurturing instead of holding people to account. And there's a balance that comes through that and after that stage. Um, so that was a very long-winded answer to, can we not be bullies, please? <laughs> uh, well, it was, it was good though, Zoe. And, oh, and I agree. I, I want to grab hold of something you just spoke to there, which I, I can, I'm picturing 
people we actually work with that Nicole and I are coaching and mentoring. And, and if they're listening to the show, I suspect they just heard what you said and went, so how do I find the balance? How do I strike that balance between the cuddly, fuzzy, wuzzy, compassion side and the keeping people accountable side? Because I actually think, you know, as much as I say, there's a lot of guys who do the aggressive um, power leader thing there's just as many guys who really find it hard to do that aspect and the accountability aspect because they want to be nice. They want to listen to people. They, they want to keep everything cool. And you know, how do we find that, that balance point on the spectrum? So um, I call this compassionate accountability. So the balancing of those two things, you know, care and results, which again, it's a polarity. It's not one or the other. It's they both work together. And the way that you can access that is highlighting consequences. And so for the leader who doesn't want to say, you know, pull your socks up was that was inappropriate or that wasn't up to par. That's, you can do that better when you have in your back pocket, the fact that you're going to explain to was that what the consequences are of your poor behavior are on, Mm. uh, on the team, uh, on the organization, on the safety of the work site or, um, even the compromising the integrity of the worksite or the professionalism, when you have that to explain to people, that's how you can be compassionate and accountable. It's like, you know, I understand where you're coming from. You're having a bad day and this is, this is what's happened for you. And this is your excuses or your reasons for underperformance. <laughs> and these are the consequences. So how are we going to bridge that? Um, and I think you take a collaborative approach to it. So it's like, I hear you and not, I hear you, but, but I hear you and, and that's uh, using and instead of, but is the, is the, is the critical bridge point there. So you're not compassionate or accountable. It's both. I love it. Zoe speaking our language. Oh, right? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You guys are ca- a, a compassionate, accountable, butt kickers. Are you? Very good. So <laughs> yeah. I, look, I think that's, you know, as coaches and mentors, we have to learn how to do that with, mm clients i mean we have commercial relationships with people who are customers and Mm. at the same time we have a duty to actually hold them accountable and to tell them what they need to hear Mm. in a way that they'll receive it in a way that they turn that into behavioral changes so uh you know I, i don't know how many people have coached or mentored that are listening to the show. Um, and this is not a self sort of gratification statement. It's really hard to strike that balance. I mean, we get it as, as coaches and mentors, and I'm sure you do too, Zoe, finding that balance point can be really tricky. So for those of you listening to this going, yeah, well, that all sounds great. You just replace, but with, and, but, uh, you know, how do I do that day to day when my apprentice has just set fire to someone's switchboard and burnt down half the house? Uh, <laughs> how do I handle that? You know, compassionate accountability kind of a way. You don't have to answer <laughs> well, that question, Zoe. <laughs> yeah, I think, well, that's a, that's an obvious one. There are consequences to, yeah. <laughs> to, to your actions. This is what they are. How are we yeah. going to solve that now? And how are we never going to do that again? Um, I, I that's the way like- to go with it. I feel like in those situations and it's something I have had to learn to do in my life to, to actually, I guess, care for people better is putting those consequences in place or maybe not putting them in place. Cause I don't 
make the consequences, letting someone know that they are the consequences is actually honoring the fact that I care about that person. I, I don't want them to keep repeating that mistake. I don't want them to keep burning someone's house down because that poor kid is going to never get employed ever again mm -hmm. if they get such a bad sort of resume from me just continuing to allow them to do those things and mm -hmm. not actually bringing it to their attention. I mean, I think, I think there's people who employ others and don't actually honor the relationship enough to say, Zoe, I need to give you some feedback. You know, I, I think you have great potential and I think there's some things you're doing that's really holding you back. Um, mm. I, I feel like that is the compassionate, caring, kind thing to do, despite the fact that it feels prickly and Coxie and I joke about the pineapple uh, method of, uh, you know, doing something uncomfortable with a pineapple for somebody to get them to actually realize that their behavior is not serving them and it's not going to serve them. Mm. Um, I just I think, had a very bad picture of what you're doing <laughs> that pineapple. I think it's probably pretty accurate, Zoe. It's, it's Coxie's favorite uh, coaching method. Um, so yeah, anyway, that was a bit of diatribe. Um, Zoe, I, I would like to just, just sort of flick into leaders uh, obviously you've been working this field for a while. Are there great examples of leaders, perhaps ones that people would recognize, but not the usual ones that get trotted out? Like who would be people that you look at and go, there is an example of a great leader or someone who has become a great leader through that sort of journey that you've talked about? Yeah. Oh, um, would people know her? I'm not sure. Um, they could go and look her up. <laughs> they could go look her up. Yeah. Her, her name is Allison and she works at the tradies in Canberra here. And I started working with her two or three years ago. And um, she's the chief operating officer there. And uh, she was very keen to learn how to be a better leader and to change the culture in the workplace. And she's gone on a great journey of understanding a lot more about herself, what drives her and how she can be more assertive and more, um, focused and intentional about how she brings the teams together. And so she's been very, she's been an excellent experimentalist. And I think this is a really useful uh, principle that people can pick up on in terms of she learned a technique, let's say it's a facilitation technique or a strategy, like to run a culture compass with her team. And she ran an experiment. All right, I'm going to try, try this with my team. I, because the intention is always, and this is your point was that you made earlier too, is what is the intention for all this activity? Your intention is to do something good for others. Mm. Um, so she went with the intention. I want to improve things in our, in, in our team and I want to run this exercise. And so she flagged it. I don't know. I've never done it before. The intention is this. Let's go. Let's have a go. And I think that was a, She's an excellent example of that, of being experimentalist, keen always to focus on the culture and the people and to put herself on the line that way in terms of trying things. Mm. Um, so I think that's a really good example of a leader, though not, not someone everybody would know. <sighs> Other good leaders. Um, Mary Robinson, that's the other end of the spectrum on large scale change. She's the previous president of Ireland, is now chair of the elders. So if you want to think big picture, greater good, uh, you can look her up. She's got a really interesting philosophy and it's always been about what is best for all. 
and everyone matters is kind of come some of her one of her mantras and i think that's a really useful one to pay attention to mm. uh, oh you can pick up so many different leaders i'm trying to think who, who are the like i don't want to say the ones that you already know so which ones are you trying to has, avoid has there been any in your life zoe it doesn't uh, matter leaders, if people don't know them but uh, what's sure. been some leadership influences in your life oh sure sam uh sam was the what was her role? What was her title? I think her title would have been school director or something similar like that, CEO, basically, of Outward Bound when I worked there. And she was my boss for a couple of years. And oh, she gave me some very frank <laughs> feedback um, and some terrible feedback. At the, it's like she's, she's modeled both like terrible feedback and excellent feedback. Um, and the terrible feedback, I'll just share this story because it's what not to do. Uh, she said, oh, you know, when I first met you, I thought you were just another dumb blonde. But now I see that you're really intelligent. <laughs> wow. Way to tell you. And down, I was like, eh? um, really? <laughs> Which I was like, oh my God. Like, okay. Apart from that's pretty not helpful comment. It's like, how am I, it made me think about how am I actually showing up here? Am I, am I showing up like a dumb blonde? Yeah. And was there something useful that I could take from that feedback? Uh, so that was the really not so great feedback. And then she gave me some fierce constructive feedback about a decision I made when I was head of the training department and skipped out on my own training session because I was in heart, I was heartbroken over a broken romance and was had my head so far up my ass. I had no idea <laughs> that skipping out on my own training session and leaving it for others to run might be a negative thing and might reflect <laughs> badly on both me, my department and her. Um, so that was really helpful feedback and very confronting. And it's like, oh, yeah, you're right. I am completely self-obsessed here. And mm -hmm. I really do not think beyond my own emotional needs about the impact on others. And that was a pretty, pretty cogent one. And then the third thing she said to me, which had a, has had a 20-year um, effect on me. And when we were putting together the RTO application, um, registered training organization application for Outward Bound in 1998, God, a lifetime ago. And I was in charge of that and I had all this, all the documents out and ready for inspection by the people who were gonna certify us. And she said, oh, she came through and looked at it all and she said, you know what, you should just run your own business. And I was like, wow. Hmm. I had no concept and no idea and no thought of ever running my own business, but it put a seed. It put a seed in my mind about, well, maybe I could do that. I wonder that would be like, really? Do I have the skills to do that? And I think as leaders, that's one of the gifts that we give other people is just when we see a seed of potential in someone is to speak it and let them do whatever they want with it. But don't deny them the chance mm -hmm. to grow that seed uh, mm -hmm. by not sharing it. And I think that comes again to your point was earlier. It's like, what are we holding back? We're doing our staff a disservice if we don't share these things. Yep. All those three pieces of feedback I had from Sam were so incredibly powerful in different ways. And she had the courage, the instinct, and the determination to share it all with me. And I've definitely grown as a human as a result of that. Um, and I have lots to thank her for. Mm, I love that. <laughs> um, I have one final question from me anyway, and it's a simple, I well, I think it's a simple question, but I actually think the answer is super complex. And I'm not sure if you can sum it up in the podcast. What makes a good leader? Um, there's lots of things that make a good leader and I sum it up as this I think that leaders need to be thinking far and deep and broad into the future and the past so their perspective is critical 
Um, the other aspect of that is in, in understanding all that context, and that is a broad, deep, far context, we need to be able to make decisions in the moment that are both wise and compassionate so that we bring the best of the heart and the best of the mind to what we do so that we can make sensible and sensitive decisions so we can have that compassionate accountability piece. I think when we balance those uh, four dimensions, you know, far into the past and far into the future and wise wisdom and compassion, then we've got a good chance of being a pretty good leader. Mm. That doesn't sound so simple after all. <laughs> <laughs> simple, not easy. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Uh, I feel like it's uh, like so many things. It's, it's a life's work, mm. you know, it's a practice. Uh, it's not something that we do and then it's done and then we don't have to revisit it anymore. It's, it's like meditation, which you mentioned earlier and mindfulness, it's a practice and it, mm. it's the, the daily uh, minutiae of, of finding little ways to improve or uh, become more aware, you know, that, that I think is, is the key to all of this. It's about that constant growth. And that it's humility really. And uh, humility is the antidote to hubris and arrogance, if we're thinking about what are the triggers that we need to be mindful of, the hubris and arrogance is definitely one of them. That's the sign that you're going off the rails. And humility is the antidote to that. And I think it was Voltaire who said, if I've learned anything is that I know nothing. And different, different thinkers across the ages have said similar things. And Aristotle, I think, said something to that effect. Um, the wisest man knows that he knows nothing. Um, and woman. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. I think if we remember that there's always more to learn and we don't know everything and to be open and curious about ourselves and the people around us and the world around us, then we'll be best served by that. Maybe that's the simple and easy answer to it. It's just stay open and curious. Mm. I think that's a perfect place to wrap up our chat, Zoe. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm not going to add anything else to that because it's, it's such a fantastic way to approach leadership business uh you know our relationships with customers which i know we didn't really dig into but i think you could just apply all of this to that mm. same dynamic to those same relationships um is uh really being open to inquiry and first and foremost to inquiring about ourselves so um zoe if if people are listening to this and going okay i need the seven step formula or the you know the five keys or whatever the heck it is and they want to go find out more about you and what you do and your resources and everything where is the best place for them to do that uh zoerouth.com z-o-e-r-o-u-t-h.com and probably the easiest simple steps is to get my latest book people stuff has got full of richness and juiciness in it for you um and I hang out on LinkedIn quite a lot. So you can find me there or you can listen to my podcast, the Zoe Rath leadership podcast. Cool. So uh, Zoe, thank you for um, coming on the podcast today. It's been a fantastic chat. Uh, we could probably spend another hour digging into leadership and uh, people stuff. I mean, it's, uh, it's the stuff of life. So i um, really grateful for your time today. Uh, I'm pretty keen to check out your book actually, because I'm, mm. I'm pretty passionate about human psychology and leadership and relationships and everything. Uh, and I've learned some hard lessons over the years, <laughs> <laughs> like sticking my feet in my mouth repeatedly. Um, but yeah, thanks so much for your time on the show. And uh, yeah, we wish you all the best for, for whatever's next for you. Thanks. Uh, thanks was thanks next. It's been an absolute joy and, and privilege to be here. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. 
You've been listening to the Tradies and Business podcast with Warwick Bidwell and Nicole Cox. Find out more about today's guest, tools for your trade business and other cool stuff at tradiesandbusiness.com.au.